Hi, I'm Clement Liu. Welcome to the second season of Just Sustainability. Janice Watts is in the vanguard of a new generation of young leaders teaching the environmental and sustainability movements about the intersection of equity and sustainability. She's the director of culture and partnerships at Fresh Energy, a board member of the Headwaters Foundation for Justice, and is co-chair of the St. Paul Climate Justice Advisory Board. At the beginning of our conversation, I asked Janice to tell us a little bit about herself. That question led to her reflecting about an incident that occurred when she visited her father's family in Mississippi as a small child, and how that incident is both telling of the ways that spaces are weaponized against people of color, and the core concerns that drive Janice's work. Here's that discussion. I always start the podcast by asking the guests to introduce themselves. So um, who is Janice Watts in the words of Janice Watts? Yes, I love that. Well, hello. Thank you so much for having me. This is super exciting. I love podcasts. <laughs> um, well, Janice Watts. I uh, yeah, I am Janice Watts. My uh, I she/her pronouns. I am from St. Paul, Minnesota, um, and I always t- tell that my where my parents are from because it's really mm-hmm. important to my identity. So my dad is from Mississippi, and my mom is from Texas, and so I grew up. Even though I grew up here in Minnesota, I really grew up with. Uh, my family, my parents really rooting my childhood in our African-American heritage and our Native American heritage. So mm-hmm. being rooted from both being both African and Cherokee from the South of this country, um, mm-hmm. those parts of my identity are so important to me because it's, I really believe it's their why I like found environmental justice. And so in the words of Janice Watts as well, I am an environmental justice advocate. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really environmental. EJ is my heart. <laughs> it is like who I am, how I've lived. Like it's how my, I've been guided by EJ like my whole life. I truly, sure. I truly believe that, and um, it's definitely how I see the world. And that's because I really just believe that environmental justice encompasses um, everything about social justice. So it's about race, right? It's about gender. It's about class and economics. It's about where you live and it's about your environment and like wherever that is, your environment has an impact on you. Mm-hmm. And you, um, I, you know, I just believe that there's, you know, people can have their own relationship to the environment, but um, be between racism, like these forms of oppression between racism, between sexism, Mm-hmm. patriarchy white supremacy um a lot of our relationships to the environment are skewed <laughs> as okay. as black and, and indigenous folks like our relationship to the environment uh can be can vary and be skewed and also be really negative mm. um and that's yeah so i i that because of my family history and heritage that's how i kind of grew up understanding uh how Certainly, again, for my parents having moved up to Minnesota from the South, this being a completely different environment for them, yes. right? Uh, and now raising their 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 kids here, uh, I was, yeah, able to like understand very early on, I think, in life that there are different types of environments, and that like again, where you live or where you are, or how you're situated in that, you're going to have mm-hmm. a different type of experience or interaction with it. Uh, mm. with the environment. 
yeah. <laughs> could you could you say a little bit more about that? Because there's like a yes. whole bunch of what you said that I I I'd love to hear you unpack a bit because it's it's mm-hmm. really interesting. So right, you said that. Right, your identity really shaped how you think about EJ. So I, I'd love to hear more about that. And then you said about you, you mentioned specifically that with your your parents, right, going from the south to Minnesota, that really shaped how they understood the environment, how you understood the environment. And then you said that, like, right, just in general, uh, our identities and like our positionality and sort of the social hierarchy, mm-hmm. uh, and given the various isms, affects how yes. we relate to the environment. So I would like there's a ton there. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think for for me growing up, he, again, growing up here as a kid. So when I was mm-hmm. younger, uh, we would go, we would take trips back to Mississippi, back home mm-hmm. to where my dad's from. And uh, again, like th- that's kind of how I learned very quickly that, oh, there are different types of environments. <laughs> and the environment like doesn't just mean like a natural space. It's not just uh, a, a park or the forest, right? It's mm-hmm. also your city, right? Because like, like, growing up in St. Paul and growing mm-hmm. up in the city here. And so I'm like, so my relationship to the environment here at home is different than when I go to Miss- go down to Mississippi. Right. And, and certainly for my parents, like my dad, growing up in very, very rural Mississippi. I mean, he, he grew up in the 60s, grew up in a time, right, where, I mean, let's let's face it, though, like, it's not just that time that was mm-hmm. full of racism. That's still, right, right. That's still here, right? right. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, for, for him, like, uh, and as he ex- would explain this to me, certainly a lot later on in life, but I, the nuggets were being dropped for me as a child, for sure, right. that um, just because here in the north like in minnesota again that doesn't just because we're up here that doesn't mean that we have escaped really anything when it comes to racism when it comes to being a black person to be an indigenous person in this world in this country mm-hmm. um like you said around the kind of like this hierarchy of uh <laughs> of um race that this country likes to put us all in or mm-hmm. uh, you know and, and categorize us as um you're you're gonna you're gonna deal you're gonna have to deal with a lot of things that are gonna come your way and so going home going i say home because that's what my dad always says going home to mississippi <laughs> <laughs> um i uh yeah so again he l- lived in really like rural area still do still do my uh my grandmother's house still stands there which is mm-hmm. pretty amazing in itself um but it was always surrounded by kind of like a woodsy area mm-hmm. And I can t- I'm gonna tell you a quick story that sure. hopefully explains kind of how I kind of came to know this. So I think I had to be like maybe about seven years old. You know, I was pretty young, but knowing that there are some all these woods surrounding my grandmother's home, I really wanted to explore the woods. So you know, growing up here in St. Paul in Minnesota, like we, of course we're surrounded by woods and natural spaces around here too, right? And right. even even though there were you know, forces that might, you know, make me go, oh, I know I need to be careful about like going into the woods here in Minnesota. I never had that, like, there wasn't the sense of a, a sense of danger that right. I quickly learned uh, in, in this, in this moment of this story. And okay. so here I am in, in Mississippi. I, I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was go explore these woods. And I remember kind of like running off being like, oh, like I'm, let's go play. You know, all I wanted to do was play and explore these <laughs> woods and all the elders. I can just like the elders surrounding this house, the house were like, what do you think you're doing? Like stop mm-hmm. me in my tracks. Right. Like 
I'm sure like my dad must have like grabbed me up really quick. Like, where do you think you're going? You can't just go like running off into these woods because you want to play. Like, first of all, you're a child. Like, don't do that <laughs> anyway. Right, right. <laughs> right? Like, you, you can't just do this alone. But um, at the time, I knew or like, I didn't know it at the time. But what I, I felt a sort of like energy of, of something that I think my elders were trying to tell me, but really didn't, you know, I don't think really knew how to articulate to a seven-year-old child at the time. Right. And um, this is this is like a core memory that I have of being like snatched up and being stopped. Like, you can't just go running off into these woods. You can't go play in these woods. No, mm. like not now, really not ever. It's kind of like the vibe I got, right? So I was like, I was like upset and like kind of it hurt. Like, why? Like, you know, why can't I go play? I just want to like go explore. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, years, 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 years later, uh, as I'm here studying environmental justice, starting to understand, again, this this relationship between the environment for that can be different for different people. Mm-hmm. And to to realize that as black, indigenous, brown folks, uh, how is it that this environment, the environment, that our natural resources, these things that we all need to live, mm-hmm. how is it that that can be used as a weapon against us? Right. That's that's a question that I've always like held in my mind, like I've kind of like always been chasing is like, how is it that the environment has been weaponized against us? How is it that has, has it been used right. as a space of, of harm, a space of violence? And I think... So I, I, that memory came rushing back to me mm. and it like knocked me out. <laughs> it, it came, it came rushing back to me. And like, I remember feeling very emotional about it because I was like, that's, that is what they were trying to tell me. At least what I think what they wanted to tell me is that these spaces, right. like the woods, just because we live here doesn't mean that those spaces are safe right. for us. It doesn't mean, right. That these spaces are welcoming to, to us because we're black. Right. right and um and and then like so that started to be really illustrated for me again as i started really starting to understand environmental justice as i started to understand like even as we we're just talking about like <laughs> um or going going up to a cabin right i'm when when i was young and my friends would say who were like mostly white would say oh i'm going up to my cabin for the summer and i would say well i'm going down home to mississippi for the summer yeah and, you know, I didn't know it then, but realizing it now, like how much of a different experience that we were both, that we were all having in terms of our environment, in terms of how we spend our time, and in terms of where, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't realize that, like, none of my black friends were saying they were going up to their cabins for the summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I didn't have that. I didn't, none of my black friends would ever tell me that. I certainly wasn't saying that. Like I said, I would go down to Mississippi or my, that. I, the very first time I ever even like went to a cabin was with a, a white friend, probably when I was like maybe thirteen or so, mm. and I was like, "This is a cabin." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I was expecting to sleep in a tent, you know, like this is a house." <laughs> like, yeah, what do you yeah. mean this is a cabin? <laughs> yeah, and so trying, so just trying to like, ex- you know, those are kind of the kind of memories that came rushing back to me as I really started putting it together of. Well, how? Well, why is it that like my black friends, me and my black friends, don't go up to a cabin right. during the summer? And well, it's because there's that those feelings, or not just feelings, right? But there, there are the barriers and the structures of exclusion, mm-hmm. right? And of 
I mean, of racism, but also those tools of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that my my family was trying to even explain to me that even happens in a place that is their own home, right? right? That of Mississippi, like that space was that's supposed to be for them. Right. But there are way too many, way too many stories, right? Way too many uh, tragedies that have happened in those spaces of the woods that, like, right. Make that make you that you're you're going to stop that seven year old from running running into the woods to thinking that they're just going to go play. You don't know what you're going to find. You might come across, you know, let let alone all the animals, <laughs> you know, that, things that like I, I'm seriously terrified about. I'm like, oh my god, I see a spider and I'm going to freak out. Right. But like, <laughs> let alone that kind of stuff. But you know, even worse, the human elements that you can't, you you yeah, you can't um predict for besides unfortunately knowing that there's a history right. there yeah um yeah well i mean and not just history at present right i mean i think that's um mm-hmm. uh, i mean just thinking about like space and who has access to space right um right. uh, your skin color does really affect the right your access to spaces uh not ju- i mean just not Absolutely. just like kind of wild spaces just spaces spaces in general yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I said, not just wild spaces. I mean, as I mean, things thinking about higher education, right? Like the right. the effect of even um, being able to to go to school and get a um, a degree in higher education, like having to learn how to navigate that type of, uh, a type of space that you may find yourself being. I mean, not not just higher education too. I mean, like I know there's plenty of plenty of young people who face this too. <laughs> I certainly was one of them. Um, but definitely in those spaces where you have to learn how to navigate. Uh, where you're not going to be mm-hmm. the dominant you know, part of the dominant culture. I mean, and as people of color in this country, like we're all pretty used to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though we're so the majority, like <laughs> global majority. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. you know, mm-hmm. approaching being right, even just a, a national majority, if, uh, if, you know, people yeah. of color considered as a whole. <laughs> True. Yeah. 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 But right, like you said, so it's about that that access is 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 a tough thing mm-hmm. to navigate. And um and I think that that's part of part of the like learning and growing and just being able to survive, <laughs> right? Is that you have to learn how to to move in and out of these spaces safely. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that is just something that like becomes unfortunately like an inherited an inherent um, tool, yeah. <laughs> or you know, almost like a almost like armor. Right, right. <laughs> you have to you have to you have to put it on in order to to get to get by and get through. So yeah, I mean that's really that's so much of where my perspective on environmental justice comes from. Right. Again, encompassing everything around identity, everything around space, right. or climate, uh, and again that how how you may interact or have a like, like I said, have a relationship with the environment it can be so different for so many people depending on how those factors play out and and certainly how you're able to um how much you're able to like um determine that or mm-hmm. or change that you know to, to just kind of change your ways you know i i or change kind of like what that outcome expected outcome may be right um yeah, and and I, I think that that's a, that's a really important piece of like how how do we get through, <laughs> or how do we even solve 
begin to solve, how to begin to understand this climate kind of emergency that we're in right, right. now is, is, so is all of that. How are we going to adapt and, and, and have to change uh, to our changing climate? But the, the biggest piece of that is, well, we have to dismantle these forms of oppression. This right. is the only way. After Janice introduced herself and talked about how her early life experiences have shaped her work, I asked her about her role at Fresh Energy and her work there. That led to a discussion about strategies that she employs to help strengthen a culture of equity and anti-racism. Strategies I think would be useful for many folks. Let's listen to what she said. You've uh, been hired in a new position at Fresh Energy as the, the Director of Culture and Partnerships, which sounds to me to be like the exactly sort of position where someone, uh, right, with your kind of background and your interests and like, you know, your expertise can really make a lot of change. Could you say a little bit about the new position and like mm -hmm. what you're thinking about doing when you're there? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So um, my this new position is about a week old, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is uh, really exciting. Um, uh, yeah, Director of Culture Partnerships I um, at Fresh Energy, which is a independent energy nonprofit right. <laughs> here, based here in St. Paul, uh, but working statewide on energy policy. That's just to throw that in there. Uh, we have a kind of like kind of, the, to kind of program teams and uh, our team is called energy access and equity. And mm -hmm. so when I, when I came on to fresh energy, my, uh, my the, the idea that I had for this, uh, not just the director role before I got there, but when I first started mm -hmm. um, was to really look internally at fresh energy as an organization and as, as, and as fresh energy being a part of kind of an ecosystem of environmental and energy organizations in Minnesota right. uh, that. Uh, you know, has been around a long time yeah. uh, and has... You have a ton of experience. Uh, you know, oh, sure. Oh, and, and, and I meant um, Fresh Energy as an organization being around a long oh, time yeah, as yeah. well. But 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 thank you. I, I appreciate that too. But but having been around in this in this kind of like environmental climate space too, um, being able to... Certainly I've had, had my kind of outside perspective of who Fresh Energy is, mm -hmm. what Fresh Energy is in, as an organization. And then... So when I when I first started the kind of program of energy access and equity was new. Mm -hmm. And so one, I was really, I, I was happy that, you know, I had a lot of space and creativity and, and space for like of um, shaping this work and shaping my position, which I very much thrive with mm -hmm. um, because I am, I do come from organizing and I very much uh, like appreciate the room to be flexible and mm -hmm. creative and um, kind of nimble and how and how we kind of have to react to certain things or and be able to uh, incorporate many different things. And so basically building out this program of energy access and equity with my, with my colleagues, uh, you know, I really, I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure where this was going to lead because I wasn't sure about where Fresh Energy's kind of commitment right. was to equity and access and anti-racism okay. and inclusion things like that right so but in to my pleasant surprise yeah, <laughs> uh the, the commitment was more was more than there more than a commitment it, you know overall from the organization from the, the leadership to my my co-workers yeah. to our external partners um because that there's such a there's a dedication to understand I think understanding what fresh energy's role can be mm. in terms of like the larger climate environmental energy movement and being like situated as a policy organization, working on things more like legislation and regulatory policy. How does an organization like that uh, really 
broaden and uh, elevate mm -hmm. environmental energy justice equity, and and part of that, my my my, my biggest like uh, directive to that was, sure. you know, as much as we need to do that externally, right? Because that's, that is our work is kind of the policy shaping. That's what we do, mm -hmm. but it's that internal side of it. It's the culture mm -hmm. side. Like that has to be equally matched with how we, ex how we expect to do this externally. Right. The internal dedication has to be there equally. And so I've spent, I think over the last three, I just crossed three years at Fresh Energy as well. So mm -hmm. over the last three years, I've spent a lot of my focus on more of that organizational culture side. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of our, our internal DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism, justice, like initiatives, mm -hmm. things of working with our, working with my colleagues, my coworkers on whether it's, whether on their policy program teams or operational side, like on development, events, operations, HR, mm -hmm. the board, uh, you know, more of that internal organizational side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've just really, I've, I've pushed, certainly pushed myself, <laughs> but it's in turn the organization as well to, to be as introspective and be as, have that commitment as in, much internally yeah. as, as much externally. And, and so that's kind of how it's, that's where like the development and how I've basically been able to kind of build up to this now mm. level of director of culture and partnerships at least on the culture side can I, um oh, yeah oh, no no please don't that's what, yeah. No, so I, yeah there's a question i want to ask because uh right so like a lot of my work is, is similar in that trying to mm -hmm. think about how to shift internal culture right yes, so like right. in in my case it's with uh you know the university of minnesota morris and higher education more broadly how mm -hmm. how have you approached it at fresh energy like what are the sort of some of the strategies you're using to try to help the organization be more introspective and reflective about its culture and how to make that culture one that is anti-racist and like inclusive and like welcoming to to uh, uh, like right, a broad range of folks oh i would it's, it'd be very smart of me to like make a whole list about what, I, what kind of <laughs> strategies i'm using and i would love to talk to you too more for, to, to kind of like share yeah. uh, to do a little bit of resource sharing but i think the the biggest thing for me that I've been able to bring into Fresh Energy, I believe, yeah. that comes from organizing is storytelling. Okay. The storytelling and like narrative shaping and really just trying to, you know, draw out the important lessons learned through sharing experiences. Okay. Um, that is something that I think that Fresh, at, at Fresh Energy particularly, uh, when we started, uh, you know, that we... We're very, very, our communication, first of all, our communications is wonderful, mm -hmm. not saying that, but but we're very, very good about like talking about our successes, mm -hmm. which there are many because my colleagues are amazing, but, <laughs> but there's also the importance in, in talking about the challenges, right? And mm -hmm. like in getting a little vulnerable about where, where are the things that we might be struggling with, right? Where are the things that we certainly need and can do? and be better on yeah. uh, and just in being able to be much more open with one another, but certainly as individuals, but as colleagues and as a whole organization. So we can build that trust with one another to talk, to have these, you know, tough conversations about what is anti-racism really, what does that actually really look like? What mm -hmm. does that feel like? What does that feel like for the, for the folks of color inside your organization mm -hmm. for like, you know, cause maybe my, my definition of that may be different for that than, someone who's not a person of color, mm -hmm. right? And like, so like, how do we get clarity about where we are as an organization so that we can 
move together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, like it, and, and again, just to be be open. So storytelling and narrative shaping is something that's really important. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think that one of the ways that we've been trying to incorporate that is in our uh, we do a lot of um, like goal setting, goal planning okay. um, with like our throughout the year. So both as like for ind- as individuals and as teams and as, a, and as an organization, we all sit down together and kind of map out goals and targets for the year. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so like kind of goal planning. Uh, and then one of the ways that I think we've shifted is in the kind of our re- review process of that it's it's much more reflective okay. than it used to be um and i credit that to our operations director okay matt larson Cassetia. um you know to, to be being able to like say like okay instead of like how, just quantitatively stating you know what we've done xyz what kind of policies did we pass or what kind of coalitions did we sit in which is all very important too right. but let's also like get a little bit more reflective again a little more introspective about what has this actually, what have you learned over time, right? right? Like what is, because that journey, it, it's all a journey. And it's not just about like getting from January to, to July, you know, when to the half a year and say that, oh, I've met with X number of people or what have you, mm-hmm. right? It's about what were those conversations like? What were the learnings? What were the, what were the lessons that you can draw out? And like, how can we continue to build on top of that and, and put that towards what is the vision of a climate just future that we're working towards? Like, what is that? How do we then you know, meet that out to be the, the bold solutions that we're looking for right. so that we can have a carbon neutral future. And I know that might sound like a lot of jargon, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but it's in the, it's in the processing, right? right. It's in the processing of, and the, and the, again, that reflection of we have to work differently together, mm-hmm. right? Like the the work itself, certainly around solving this climate crisis, there's the work, but then there's also how we do the work that matters just as much. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that's part of the culture that is so is so important and is in much in so much of need of that shift. That like I think every single one of us would say that we are doing this work because it's our life's work because right. we care about it. We are literally. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm doing this work because I'm trying to save myself, <laughs> right? Like I want a planet to live on <laughs> too, right? Like, and and we have to be very clear that, like, like you said, it's present. Like this is happening right now. Right. But it's also that that means it's so emotional. Mm-hmm. That means it's. I mean, I wake up every day thinking about what it, what is it that I'm going to do to like. Basically, for me, it's get get this message across that environmental justice has to be about racial justice. It has to be about gender justice. Right? Right. These the th- things about dismantling oppression is is the work to solving our climate crisis. So how am I how am I going to get that message across today? What am I going to do to make sure that that's like that's part of the the the, the central mission? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, and, and and so being able to like do that at in an organization that has its mission of you know, has the mission of a carbon neutral future, you know, and like trying to get carbon out of kind of out of our economy, but have being able to try to to keep rooting that within social justice and equity is is, I mean, I think is a shift. We've reached a natural spot to end this episode. To quickly review, in this episode, we got to meet Janice Watts, the director of culture and partnerships at Fresh Energy, and Janice and I talked about one 
how access to spaces is often affected by oppression, in particular racism, and two, how Genesis is approached, encouraging folks to integrate equity and justice into efforts to promote sustainability and sounder environmental practices through storytelling and reflection. Please join me in the next episode of Just Sustainability, where we'll listen to the second part of the conversation that I had with Janice. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening.